ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Undiluted Truth. Coming to you from All Seasons Tabletop Studio. I am Ben. Do not forget to like, subscribe, and share. And our podcast email is theundilutedtruth.podcast at gmail.com. And without any further delay, today's episode will be yet another continuation of frustrations of COVID policies and restrictions unleashed by frontline medical professionals, part four. Anyway, and let's give a warm welcome to our host, Mike. Oh, hey, Ben. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. Good. I remember to press record this time. Very good. As you can tell. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with it today. Glad, glad to hear that. Yeah. Glad to hear that. Uh, welcome to all of you rock tumblers and truth seekers. And to those that may be new, the reason that we mention rock tumblers is that actual truth is so hard to find these days that it's as if you're turning over, not pebbles, but basically boulders. And mm-hmm. only the lazy, uh, intellectual, intellectually, uh, spiritually, maybe even physically, are the ones that do not want to seek truth you know at its fullest so it all comes from the old hey we need to turn over every rock for the evidence that we need to find so forth and so on so that's where right. rock tumblers came from we're still waiting or discussing we haven't you know we'd love to get some t-shirts out there that basically say i'm a rock tumbler or a rock tumbler yeah. meaning that i will you know do whatever it takes to seek truth uh and you know we actually did a little podcast about what all that means and so forth. So, but uh, anyway, when it comes to this one, frustrations from frontline doctors unleashed about policies and restrictions, we had mentioned that if you have listened to this, and, and by the way, this comes from a about three weeks ago, Ron Johnson did a roundtable there in DC with a number of these individuals. And if you were to watch any of this, and it, by the way, it was a five-hour ordeal that, uh, and and I wouldn't even say ordeal almost sounds bad, but it was a five-hour roundtable meeting. And I think frustration was maybe too light of a word. We talked about that before. It was more or less these these doctors and, and, and some scientists and whatnot, it was as if they were basically saying, look, folks, we're done. We are taking the gloves off. We're done. Let's let us do what what we doctors want to do, and that's be doctors. So right, right. Uh, that that's why, you know, four parts here, and I know that, you know, the way we roll, we play some and we expound and, and whatnot, and we intend to do the same thing today. But uh, this is just a piece of what happened through the eyes uh, of a couple of people, and one, uh, Dr. Richard Urso, he was there, he attended, and being interviewed from Dell Bigtree on the High Wire, which uh, we get a lot of information from uh, the High Wire, Dell Bigtree, and don't forget the Jackson Report oh, yeah. with Jeffrey yeah. Jackson uh, on the High Wire. They they bring forth a lot of a lot of good information. So. As you said, without any further delay, I think we can get right into this. Uh, they were just finishing discussing uh, 
a testimony from Dr. Urso about his dad and how things really operate in the hospitals and, and the restrictions that are still out there um, that they face every day. Right. So I think Urso just mentioned that, oh, by the way, that uh, you can get germs in the hospital. Uh, I mean, just it's normal. <laughs> so I, they had a little chuckle about that. Yeah, And they're going to move into another topic here uh, pertaining to the treatment that those are getting in the hospital. So, all right. And did I mention that we had a... No, you didn't. We do have a, we do have a special guest uh, in the studio today, but uh, that individual will go unknown until uh, they particular uh, decide to make a comment here or there. And uh, All right. uh, maybe we'll just let the person and. And we don't know if uh, he, he would be identified as a third party or not, uh, because uh, so it's a surprise. Yeah, sort of. All right, sort I like of. it. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah. And and we might say because your dad has been on with us, we we, we can mention that it isn't your dad. This you is know. true. Yeah, but he is here. Yeah, and well, unless he starts talking in his sleep, it's not going to be <laughs> Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. This is true. Okay. All right. Ready? Yeah. And here we go. Nicole mentioned something, and I remember you really, and we don't have the clip. But you really got intense about the use of steroids, that, you know, there are treatments, am I to understand this, that we would use almost in any other respiratory condition or situation where someone comes in, especially an unknown one, it starts with steroids, yet that is not allowed, or, right? And what was, what's that? She said we weren't using steroids when we know we could. So back in March 2020, I knew right away that when you got into the later phase after the first week, steroids would make a lot of sense because many conditions the inflammation from the virus is what causes a lot of the problems. And we use steroids over and over and over again. And steroids reduce inflammation. They reduce swelling, they reduce inflammation, and they're a really important part of, of that process. They're probably the best drug. for. De we have tons of drugs for inflammation. Steroids are hi historically been the best drug. And what they ended up using was really small doses of something called dexamethasone. So they're under-treating. It's a disease of no treatment early, and under treatment in the hospital, where literally they give a puny six milligrams of dexamethasone. Solumedrol is better. We can go much higher. I typically, at the end of a surgery, a small surgery, like if, if I did a small resection of something on the face here, I usually give eight milligrams, and I do this about four to 500 a year, where I always use eight milligrams of dexamethasone. For a small resection on the face, I do that for the last 30 years. Yeah. At the end of the case, to reduce the swelling a little bit. Right. Here they are as people, this is mass systemic disease, and they're giving six milligrams. So I just, I what would, it out What would everybody. be the proper dosage? Well, first of all, I probably wouldn't use that, but I'd probably use like 20 okay. Q12 um, or 30 Q12, depending on the size of the person. So we sometimes go by sizes of the person. Sure. So sense. basically, um, rather than six a day, I do th three times twice, three times a dose twice a day at least. So in a sense, they're way under treating with this, and that is the reason why you don't see people coming out of the hospital because the drugs are not only are they not sequential. You know, if you hear Peter McCullough talk, sequential multi-drug cocktail. What that means is viruses and cancer cells are very similar. You need to attack them from multiple places. Yeah. So early in that first week, we attack the virus. But in the second and third and fourth week, we're attacking the inflammation. We're attacking the blood clotting. We're attacking the respiratory distress. So there's a sequence of things we do as the disease progresses. And each individual patient may have something a little different that we might want to tweak the formula. Right. Hello, that's how we practice. And you heard me say it on there. Yeah. It's called the practice of medicine for a reason because there's always something new. 
if you have somebody who's 220 pounds diabetic, you know, five foot six, we might do it a little differently than someone who's, you know, five foot six and 110 pounds and 22 years old. Right. So every person is unique. And we know this. And they tried to pass this over that this disease affects everybody. Everybody's going to die. So many people haven't even come out of their house yet. So it's a, it's a scientific fraud. And our job and what you've done so well is bring that, bring that message to people. And thank you so much for all you have done. You're, you are a true scientist. When I listen to you sometimes, I'm like, oh, my God, Dell. Dell, did he go to medical school? I'm like, it's amazing. Well, we're pretty so deep thank in you this. For that. I, well, I thank know you. you are. I, I thank you. I'm going to pause it right there. Um, all right. And, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, first of all, I love the comment that he gave Dell Bigtree. And if you've ever heard yeah. him it, it, at any length, he actually does sound like he's gone to medical school when it comes to vaccines and a lot of other things. But think about this. All he's doing is sort of what we're doing here. He's listening, he's reading, and he's gathering information. Essentially, right, yeah. he might be like the the top rock tumbler. I yeah. mean, he's right. – but if if you know, Ben, I mean, there's times that, that we will have conversations and we – we know what we're talking about, and then we'll share that, hey, we had a conversation with this other individual, and they haven't heard any of this. Yeah. And it's sort of frustrating, exactly. but we have to remember there was a time when, you know, and, and we talked about this before. Think about how much of this did you know three years ago? Um, and, and None, and, and, really? And, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, to be honest, yeah, exactly. Well, and and also ask yourself, if someone was to come to you about three years ago and say, right. Look, I've got some real incredible in, in, information about vaccines and viruses and, and uh, you know, certain treatments and such, you know, and hands you some literature, mm -hmm. would you, like, run home right away and lock yourself up in a room and say, I'm reading this all right now? Or would well, you chuck it in the backseat of your vehicle and head down the road with it? I might have been interested <laughs> in it, but, yeah, since there wasn't the quote, pandemic then it, it wasn't wasn't as prevalent to that immediate time right. so yeah i probably would have been like okay that sounds mm -hmm. interesting and then set it in the back seat you know read it a little bit later but yeah yeah I, yeah I, I hear you absolutely so uh one thing that dr or so mentioned that i want to draw attention to before we move on and i think they're getting ready to run you know get right into the, their round table was he mentioned that Steroids were used for the effects of the virus. Okay, right. So it's really not going to the virus itself. It's going to help what the virus caused. Right, you know, the inflammation. As, yeah, the inflammation right. part of it. And, yeah. and, and, of course, I think it was in part two or three that he mentioned that uh, after five days, if if you recall that, or maybe he's getting ready to get I into it. I think that I, was part three. Yeah, after yeah. after five days, you are treating specifically what the virus has done to your body. Yeah, and you need to go at it with these other drugs. For instance, you know, you might have you know early treatment with ivermectin or something like that. But yeah, after that, you need to be you need to be going you know steroids and mm -hmm. and maybe some uh, blood thinners. Uh, right. You know some other things other than the traditional, you know, and what we're all yeah. hearing. Not to discount those drugs, you know, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, but right. 
And then also after five days, he said they're non-trans. The thing's non-transmittable. It doesn't. I think he said it doesn't replicate. Yes. After five days. That's true. That's true. I didn't bring it up last time, but I found that quite interesting because I don't believe we had heard that anywhere in what we've put out yet. I and I mean I know that the CDC had changed from ten to from ten to five, but I had never heard that it's because they know it can't replicate Mm. after five days. I I hadn't heard that myself, so I was like, that's interesting, and you know to know. Yeah. So yeah, And, and when. You know, mentioning that when I heard it, I was thinking. I it seems that Doctor Geert Vandenbosch mentioned that, but he he, might he has that strong accent and and he, he talks about so much. But yeah. but anyway, uh, Doctor Urso makes it very clear that five days and you right. really your attention goes to because I think he used the term. You you don't need a, a virologist. You can kick them out of the room. This is who you need now. Yeah, I thought exactly. that was uh, right. yeah. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, ready yeah. to go here. Yes, sir. All right. You uh, for the, for that compliment. Um, so w- we had uh, Doctor Christina Parks on on our show a month or two ago that we taped it. He came up to me um, before this hearing and said, "I just want to let you know that." My father was with me. He got to see me on the high wire, and really, uh, I lost him just a few days ago. She lost him mm-hmm. just before having to do this hearing, and she said, mm-hmm. I just want to thank you because that memory that I have of him seeing me on the high wire is an important memory, and it's one of the last memories I have. This is her talking about her own, how her own father was handled in the hospital. My dad just died, right? He died Friday. Couldn't get a test, couldn't get monoclonal antibodies. We treated him at home. Unfortunately, we had an oxygen machine that didn't work. So he, blood saturation went down to the point where he was incoherent. We called EMS. They said, your problem is your oxygen machine doesn't work. They put oxygen on him. He went to 98% saturation. We moved him to the hospital. He recovered all his cognitive functions. He was doing quite well. But he was no longer getting medications that reduce his inflammation. He was no longer getting medications that um, blocked the histamine response. He was no longer getting the medications that he needed, and he was no longer getting um, uh, you know, um, lung steroids, and uh, he just declined and declined and declined until he passed away on Friday, and I say he passed away from lack of appropriate care. Mm. It's, um, it's an incredible story she lays out there. Obviously, she's a doctor, or she has the background, she can treat uh, her father at home, but they had an oxygen machine that they didn't realize wasn't working. So once they get him to the hospital, oxygen comes up, and you would think he just continue all the drugs they had were working. Obviously, the oxygen was the only thing that went wrong, and they're like, no way, no how. Uh, I want to talk about that. So yeah. what happens is they get in the hospital, they put him on oxygen, then they think, well, let's get him something for anxiety. They give him some midazolam, they give him Presidex. It suppresses mm. the respiratory depression. Before you know it, there's a, a it's like... It's like knocking dominoes over. And I'm going to tell you, if anybody looks and you have people in your family that have passed away in the hospital, I can tell you what happened. They got, <clears throat> they got midazolam, they got Presidex, then they got remdesivir, and it was basically a, a, knocking over dominoes all the way down so to the death store. psych drugs. Yeah. All right, just quickly, wow. what, what, he's calling no. it knocking, knocking down dominoes, uh-huh. but, but we know that the virus and what it causes is a respiratory problem. Mm-hmm. So, midazolam, remdesivir, he named another one. 
But these are, Dell said it, kind of psych drugs, drugs to calm you down, basically a, a heavy sedative, which compromises your respiratory. So what do you think is going to happen if you've got a respiratory issue, you're having trouble breathing, and now you're given drugs at different levels and in, yeah. in increments Not- that, that inhibit your respiratory? It's just it's making it worse as you go along. Not to mention remdesivir is basically like either liquid or pill form of chemo. Well, and it, if it's after that five days, why are you doing? You're not. Yeah, you're not dealing with the virus anyway. Yeah, that should be. So short. what? What are? What are you taking yeah, it for? An early short. I don't understand. Yeah, that one I don't understand anyway. No, and but, well, what I understand, he mentioned midazolam, and and what right. we understand it is specifically from uh, Dr. Brian Artis is that midazolam and remdesivir are, are like sister drugs. They, they pretty much operate okay. in the same. Yeah, I, I didn't remember. Yeah, midazolam. Was that the one that they used over in the UK? UK, yes. Okay. Yeah, that oh, was the one you. I was just going to say. that You hear that more there, but right now it's, it's here as well. And, and this lady is a PhD molecular and cellular scientist, biologist, I'm sorry. I mean, wow. she, okay. she knows sort of what's going on, and... I don't know about you, but for me, I'm thinking, here are doctors that are losing family members. Mm-hmm. God forbid if, if something was to happen to one of our relatives. I mean, and we talked about it before. They would have a hard time keeping me out of the room to say that you can't go in there. Uh, and we know yeah. all of the horrific things that, that happened in the past where you know people couldn't get into the see the they couldn't even go visit, and then after right. the relative died, they couldn't even go retrieve the body because they, you know, they, they had made incinerate them. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. They, they had made people believe and and through the fear of God in them that they, oh, you could catch the virus by you know off of a dead person, so you couldn't even go, you couldn't even go to pay your respects and bury your own relative. Yeah, it was insane. So, but I just wanted to draw that uh, that uh, the attention to what he had said there, uh, you know, on the the five-day uh, thing. All right, here we go. To, to get rid of the anxiety, this is very, very, very common. Almost every patient that I encounter. Absolutely unbelievable. Remdesivir, obviously you mentioned this is a failed Ebola drug. Uh, was so toxic, they pulled it early from the Ebola trial, saying this is a complete failure. I sort of read that as, you're better off dealing with Ebola than mess with this drug, mm. and yet it gets repurposed for this situation. We'll talk about it in a second. But this is Paul Merrick, who is, as I mm. said, an ICU uh, doctor for decades. His CV goes on and on and on. I believe he's credited with being the second most published ICU doctor in the world um, who was having a complete success treating his parent- patients until the doctors told him he had to change his approach. Listen to this story. If you look at the four independent studies, including the large study by the WHO, it shows remdesivir increases the risk of death. Let me say that again. Remdesivir increases the risk of death by 3%. It increases your chances of renal failure by 20%. This is a toxic Mm. drug. But just to make the situation even more preposterous, the federal government will give hospitals 
a 20% bonus on the entire hospital bill if they prescribe remdesivir to Medicare patients. Mm. The federal government is incentivizing hospitals to prescribe a medication which is toxic. It should be noted that remdesivir costs about $3,000 a course. Ivermectin reduces the risk of death by about 50%. It costs the WHO two cents. Let's, let's make the comparison. Remde wow. Remdesivir costs <laughs> 3000 3000 A dose. Wow. And ivermectin? Two cents. Two cents. And, and remdesivir is Read. potentially killing people. Yeah, it gives you 20% increase in renal, fail right. renal failure and I think 3% of death. But what follows three, renal failure? But increases 3% three percent death rate yeah. whereas ivermectin reduces reduces death rate by 50 percent was it 50 or six 50 yeah i was thinking it was 60 but yeah so at two cents yeah at two cents so we're going to put in our two cents worth and say i'm sorry ivermectin thank you very much yeah yeah well, finish listening to this. I, I just wanted to, there's the numbers, you know. Wow. And he said incentivizing. They're oh, yeah. getting bonuses. So yeah, yeah. we will pay you a, you know, whatever, 10% payout, your hospital or whatever, if you use remdesivir. Yeah, that's Incentiv incentivizing. That stems a, back to Brian Artist. Yeah, well. ex exactly. In, yeah. Incentivizing basically a, a, a death shot. Two cents. So as regards dexamethasone, this is the wrong drug in the wrong dose for the wrong duration of time. Yet every clinician in this country will absurdly use this homeopathic dose of dexamethasone. Why? Because the NIH tells them to do this. The NIH and other agencies have ignored multiple FDA-approved drugs. These are FDA-approved drugs. These are not experimental drugs, which are cost-effective and safe and have unequivocally, unequivocally been shown to reduce the death of patients in the ICU and in hospital. You are more likely to die from taking Tylenol than Ivermectin, yet the FDA calls this a dangerous Horse deworming medicine. Hospitals mm. have become dangerous places for sick people. Patients must do whatever they can to avoid the hospital. When they imprisoned in a hospital, they denied their rights. They are not allowed a patient advocate. Their family are denied access to the patient. They are prisoners in the system. They mm. have no rights and they get the treatment. Mm -hmm dictated by the hospital. They are dangerous places for sick people. And that's, for me, as a physician practicing hospital medicine for 40 years, saddens mm. me to the core. I mm. can tell you what happened to me. So I was using our protocol to treat critically ill patients in the ICU with a whole host of repurposed drugs. I then, this is a memo. This is a memo sent to the entire healthcare system, but they targeted me personally. And what did this memo say? 
These medications will not be verified or dispensed for the prevention or treatment of COVID. This list includes ivermectin, picolutamide, etopsicide, fluvoxamine, dutesteride, and finasteride. And then just to stick it to me, they added ascorbic acid. What was I to do? My hands were tied. As a clinician for the first time in my entire career, I could not be a doctor. Mm. I could not treat patients the way I had to be to treat patients. I had seven COVID patients, including a 31-year-old woman. I was not allowed to treat these people. I had to stand by idly. I had to stand by idly watching these people die. I then tried to sue the system. And you know what they did? They did something called peer sham review. It is a disgusting and evil concept. They then accused me of seven most outrageous crimes that I had committed and that I was such a severe threat to the safety of patients, they immediately suspended my hospital privileges because I possessed and posed such an outright threat to these patients. Ignoring the fact that under my care, the mortality was 50%, those of my colleagues. So here I was standing up for patients' rights, and this hospital, this evil hospital, ended my medical career. So that's what they do. It's an outright outrage. It's evil to the core. Mm. I, wow. I don't know that you could say it any better, but you could. he was tearing up when he was mm -hmm. talking about the seven patients in a 30... Think about this. A 31-year-old female, just a 31-year-old. Now, he didn't say that she had any comorbidities or you know any weight problems, asthma, whatever, but just 31 years old. But the bottom line is, and, and you, you mouthed the, the last one, but, I mean, removed all of these drugs that he was using, anti-inflammatories, you know, steroids, ivermectin, and then to mm -hmm. stick it to him, absorbic acid, which is vitamin C. Yeah, it's strong, high doses of vitamin C, and so you can't even do, use that. I mean, that's insane. And he is the head of the critical uh, chairman of the uh, uh, Critical Care Alliance, which I had heard uh, Dr. Pierre Corey, who okay. wor worked underneath of Dr. Merrick, uh, when, when he okay. first when he first came about, yeah. and deemed it an honor, uh, right. said that he was the icon of critical care. He says you if you were learning under him you were you were actually learning how to, you know, get patients, you know, better and out of critical care and actually save lives and 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 whatnot. So he right. was highly respected until he stood up on the wrong side of this and was actually healing people. Yeah. I mean it's it and then they they run him basically out of business. Now he's an elder. You could probably tell he's got a little age on him. He's been around. He said forty years he's been doing this. Mm -hmm. So, I, once again, these are doctors that are being treated this way. And so, we we are just, I guess, mere citizens of of the state, so to speak. But what do we do? 
I mean, it's almost as if, like Dr. Artis says, you almost have to, if if God forbid you have to be in the hospital for anything like this, you almost have to be armed with with lawyers threatening, you know, the, the Constitution, you know, threat other documents and, and kind of force their hand a little bit. Yeah. And and think about it. Think about these people that maybe don't have any relatives alive. Maybe they're elderly. Maybe they everyone's passed on, or maybe they didn't have a large family anyway. And you're stuck in there all by yourself, right? And he even said that you don't you lose your advocate. You have no advocates there. I mean, I I think back yeah. of, the, of all the wow. years that I mean, not that I you know. I I was uh, you know born with a with a bad kidney and I think I mentioned this uh, once before but I spent a lot of time around the medical field you know giving blood work and and urinalysis and that sort of thing keeping mm-hmm. an eye on this good kidney but even at that all of the times we visited hospitals whether it be for friends or family you always felt like they had your best interest at heart and they were you were being taken care of they're like okay he's going to be fine now he's he's in the hospital it is almost like now you say, "Well, we need to bust him out of there because he's he's up there laying in the morgue, yeah. ready to ready to pass away." Almost anymore, it's like if they go to the hospital, you're expecting them to die. Sure, pretty much. And I and I think if if all of us here thought about this, we could probably think of someone that may have passed away suspicious not famous people because i know i could probably think of you know the better half of a hundred yeah. that have passed away the very suspiciously you know whether it be poor treatment or no treatment from you know the the virus or here most recently the the jab the injection right uh, as we know it's not a vaccine it's well i mean I, I don't know too many but i have heard of a couple people where they were getting better yeah and then all of a sudden Downhill, yeah. And we then they will, pass. Yeah, one we share the. the it's like the, yeah, uh, a friend of ours. Yeah, so, so it's, it, it's very and, suspicious. And so, from what the the lady said, whatever I forget her name, but from what she said, I mean, it, it's all it's almost that same thing. So, mm-hmm. like you're saying, I bet you could ask other people. Oh well, yeah, and then some people would tell right. tell you, yeah, they were getting better, and then all of a sudden, it, we don't know what happened exactly. And then it's framed to to be. Oh, this this virus is just deadly. It's killing. Yeah. It's killing all of them. Where they're not even being treated. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a it's 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 an absolute travesty. And these people really should be. And you you have over seventeen thousand of these doctors and scientists that want them charged, amongst other things, uh, for crimes against humanity. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's time that that happens. And and just listen to these people right here. They they're they're more than frustrated. Yeah, I mean, my goodness, pleading their cases of, of, of this sort of thing. So, uh, once again, that was uh, some clips from uh, Doctor Urso and, and Dale Bigtree on the high wire, and some other uh, physicians there at the round table uh, in DC. Put you know that was sponsored by Ron Johnson, and God bless him. I mean, he's one of the few that are actually out there that appears to be you know those that we put you know by voting uh, mm-hmm. put. NDC to be working for the people. And I, I think out of all of those up there, we have one. We have Ron Johnson right now. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, and it's a shame. And this has been talked about before. He's a senator. And there was no other senators there. Now, there might be some that agree with him, maybe in private, 
you know, uh, rooms or whatever, but maybe they were afraid to show themselves in this meeting, but there was none there. Wow. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's terrible. Anyway, uh, well, that sort of wraps it up with this one, and I'm not sure uh, whether we'll cover any more of that. We might sift through it, but uh, all of this, if, if if you guys out there have an opportunity to, you can go on the high wire and, and look in the archived episodes and pull this one out, uh, interview with Dr. Urso in the round table there um, with uh, Ron Johnson and those guys. Really good stuff, and I, I think the knowledge uh, that we have, uh, we need to do something with it and that share it and and let people know what's really going on out there so yeah absolutely all right well i think that's uh that's going to do it for this episode ben let's uh let's go ahead and close out with the word word of prayer here dear father in heaven lord we once again we thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to to reach uh many many people out there with the truth and lord we just thank you that uh, we can do that freely today. Um, may not be that we can do it tomorrow. We, we're not sure. Things just seem to be happening at such a a fast pace. But Lord, we we ask for a special prayer for all of those out there that are being affected by this pandemic, by the, the whether they be ill or family members ill, caught up in hospitals, poor treatment, all of them. We just ask for your your healing hand and your presence to be felt with them. All of those that are standing up uh, out there, Lord, we, we ask that you bless them, give them continued uh, mental and physical strength to keep doing what they're doing. And as people like uh, all of these doctors, Dr. Urso and uh, the uh, Brian Artis, uh, Ryan Cole, I, there's many out there. Uh, but we, we pray that you're, strength be with all of them and uh and lord uh continued prayer for our listeners everyone out there that uh is seeking the truth give each one a desire to constantly turn over the rocks that they need to uh almost uh, uh continually um w- without fear um and may all of our thoughts every intent of thoughts be pure and we thank you again and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.